Well, my name's Scott. I uh, have the privilege of serving here as uh, lead pastor. And we're finishing up a series today called Leave It Better Than You Found It. And um, we are going to talk about uh, leaving your friends uh, better than you found them. And if, you were, if you've been here and you're here most weeks, then you remember that not, not too long ago, did a message on friendship. It was, talk, it was directed to men. And, um, and so you may say, well, why are we talking about friends again? Well, uh, after, that, after that service, it was, it was directed to men and it was talking to men about, you know, as men, we, we're lonely and we don't know how to make friends. And uh, a guy who's part of our church, who's the head of a union in the area, he came up to me afterwards and he said, I wish every guy in my union heard that message. And so this is really kind of an unintentional part two of that message. It is for everybody. I'm going to direct it at men. Uh, again, ladies, you get to listen in. But I, I trust the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you believe in the Holy Spirit. When we say the Holy Spirit, we understand that God is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the guiding God's Spirit that guides us. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And, and what, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit orchestrates circumstances, things, and conversations. I cannot tell you the number of times uh, someone has come up to me after the service, uh, and I'm only speaking from my vantage point, uh, and they'll say, how did you know what I was going through? <laughs> you, were you talking right to me? I, I, don't, I don't have a slice idea what you're going through. Uh, but the Holy Spirit does. And uh, so we, I, we believe, in the, as a church, we believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And um, we're going to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us today. Because I believe this is a, a divinely ordained uh, moment for us. So we always read scriptures uh, together. We look at what they mean. We're going to stand. I uh, had the fun time of raking leaves yesterday and threw out my back, so I'm going to sit in just a minute, but you're welcome to stand with me. We're going to be looking at the entirety of the book of Ruth, but I've pulled out, uh, it's four chapters in the Old Testament. If you've never read the book of Ruth, it's about a, a lady named Ruth, and we're going to look at a very famous passage out of this uh, together. We'll read this together. Look, uh, said Naomi, who was her mother-in-law, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. I'll explain the context of this in a minute. Uh, go back with her. But Ruth replied, and maybe you've heard this read at weddings. This was actually about a friend. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Beautiful words, right? Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I'd like to give you a, uh, a metaphor uh, for what we're going to talk about today, and it's a meme. Do you know what a meme is? A meme is uh, something that gets on the internet and goes crazy. Uh, well, and I'm going to show you a picture here in just a second, and then some other pictures. But it was July the, uh, the 20, uh, 2014, Nick Landis had planned a, an incredible experience. We've got a, we've got a picture of Nick, um, what he's getting ready to do. At Walt Disney World, he'd gotten his girlfriend Erica there, and he had planned for months for this to happen. And uh, he kneels down. He's got a photographer. He has, he has made sure this is going to be a moment that is captured for his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. And as he is popping the question, this guy jumps right in the way. 
Can you see this picture of this guy who is, he, you can see on his face, he's going, hi, shouldn't be here. Oh my gosh, why did I cut in front of the camera? <laughs> uh, but there he is. Well, this, this got posted um, on the internet, and I think this is why the internet exists, because the, the internet immediately had fun with this. <laughs> and they put this, there's several pictures here of... <laughs> So if you Google, not right now, if you Google guy in the way, they're the royal family, Taylor Swift. I think we've got the Last Supper here. <laughs> this guy, uh, this guy got in the way. And so this is the metaphor that I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, and it's a metaphor about friendship. And, and the metaphor is this. Are you, are you helping your friends or are you in the way? Uh, are you helping your friends or are you in the way? Now, let's talk about being in the way for a second. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he had this phrase, and it's kind of interesting. He said, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, maybe you hear that and you think he's saying, oh, bad company. If, if you're a good person, don't be around bad people. That's, that's not what he's saying. Uh, he's not saying there's the bad people and don't be around the bad people, you, you be one of the good people. He's saying bad company won't help with the growth of who you are. Here's what he's saying. If you hang out with angry, cynical people, you're probably going to struggle with anger and cynicism. If you're a guy and you hang out with other guys and for those guys that you hang out with, it is just fine to cheat on your woman. Guess what you're going to think is okay? Like bad company does not help grow your character. That's what he's saying. So we, we could be in the way in that way. We could do that for other people. We could be in the way of our friends in that way, not, not, not pushing them in a, in a positive direction. Uh, but we could uh, obscure their future. We could block their opportunities. We could keep them from growth. We could, and this is kind of what I want to talk to you about today, we could not be helping them get where they are going. Uh, your friends are on a journey. And have you ever considered the fact that God put you in their life to help them get where God intends for them to go? Have you ever, have you ever paused to consider that? That God sent you to your friends. And are you helping them with that? Or do you, maybe you think, it's not my business where they go. I'm just supposed to hang out with this person and love them like they are. Uh, instead, we wanna, what we want to do is we want to uh, help our friends. We want to be a lifter of people. There's a, a, a famous story Jesus was teaching in someone's home. And now if you know uh, ancient archaeology of the first century, most of the homes were made out of mud. They were mud bricks and then there would be a thatch roof on top. Uh, that would have been sticks and hay and, and mud that held it together. And, uh, and, and Jesus was teaching in someone's home, and no one could get in. I mean, everyone was just packed in listening to Jesus teach. This is recorded in several of the Gospels, Mark chapter 9. And these, these friends had one of their friends who was a paralytic, meaning they could not walk. Apparently, they uh, had worked in the yard like I did yesterday, and they couldn't walk either. And so uh, it was a little more serious than that. And they wanted their friend to get to Jesus. And so on a stretcher, they took their friend. They went up on top of the roof. They started to pull apart the sticks and the mud. And then they tied ropes to the corners of that stretcher, and they lowered that person down to Jesus. They brought that person on a stretcher to Jesus. Now that's a, a beautiful act in and of itself, but it's also a beautiful metaphor for what friendship is supposed to be. 
We need people to be our stretcher bearers. Is there an amen to that? Because I do. I do. I need people who will carry me. I can't always carry me. We need people who will be our stretcher bearers and do what those friends did and bring our friends, sometimes on a stretcher, to Jesus. The Proverbs, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, um, uh, is a... um, is a book that talks a lot about being a good friend. Now, if you don't know, if you're a guy and you're trying to raise a son, I'm trying to raise two sons, uh, Proverbs is actually written as a manual for fathers to teach their sons how to be wise. That's why it was written. And so you'll notice if he starts off, directs it to my son. Do not forsake your father's teaching. Uh, Do not forsake what your mother has told you. It's just this manual on how to become a wise person, but it says a lot about being a friend. And so I want to give you from the Proverbs uh, just kind of a list of what a true friend is. I think we can all agree on these things, uh, but a true friend is there for you. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down in your notes as well. Uh, a true friend is there for you. You know, they, they return your text, they take your call, uh, they, when everybody leaves, they move in. Here's how Proverbs says it, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Right? That's how you know you have a friend because they're there for you. Uh, They are honest with you. They tell you the truth. If you have a zipper down, they tell you your zipper is down. (laughs) Had a label label thing I bought the other day because I was labeling some stuff because I'm OCD in my house and labeling stuff in the kitchen so the kids know where to put stuff away. And and Corbin, our our 11-year-old, who's very mischievous... Uh, he, I knew that if I left him alone with the label, he would make labels and start labeling things. And sure enough, he did. And at one point, he came up to me, and uh, um, we were working in the yard, and he put a label. I could feel him. I could watch him make the message. And then I, he came over, and he put a label on the back of my, my sweatshirt, and it tapped it on me. And I said, oh, you just love me, don't you, son? You know, we joked about that. And I forgot that he put it on me, and it said, kick me, please. And so I went to Walmart, (laughs) and I had to buy something, and I stood in line, and there was a long line behind me. I guarantee you, everyone's like, why does this guy have a thing on his sweatshirt that says, kick me, please? Should I kick him? (laughs) But they weren't my friends, so they didn't tell me the truth, right? They were not honest with me. Here's how Proverbs says it. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Uh, A friend makes you better. They push you. They won't let you get away with a lesser version of yourself. Here's how Proverbs 27, 17 says it. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or one woman sharpens another. They give you good counsel. They want you to do better, so they advise you well. Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. A friend supports you. A friend is there for you. They're, they're, uh, this is how Ecclesiastes, same writer of Proverbs, wrote Ecclesiastes, Solomon. And this is what he said. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one could help the other up. But pity anyone who has no one, no friend, to help them up. And then, then this is the one we're going to focus on for the rest of our time today. Uh, a friend cares about where you are headed. Now, that's, there's several angles on that. They, they care about the decisions that you make. Is this going to be a good job for you? Is this the right person for you to, to marry? How do you, how do you be a better father? How do you, how do you be a better friend? Uh, they, they, they care about where you're headed in the sense of your character. What kind of person are you becoming? 
But then they also care, if they're a follower of Jesus, they care about where you're going to end up eternally. Like They care about where you are headed. Here's how Proverbs says it. The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. And he who is wise, what are those last two words? Wins souls. Now, let's, let's look at that list again. Now, who, who is it that is a friend to you like that? Who you got? Now, if you're a Christian, you know that the friend that we all have that is like that is Jesus, who loves us at all times and is a brother born for adversity, who gives us wounds that can be trusted, who sharpens us like iron, who gives us good counsel, who never leaves us alone, has promised to never leave us and never forsake us, and has, has, does, does everything possible to win our soul. Who's a friend like Jesus? So then apply that to you and the kind of friend that you are. are. Are you a true friend to somebody else? Because when you do these things for your friends, let me suggest something to you. You are actually being Christ-like in that moment. You're being Jesus to your friends. So the best way I know to in, include uh, all of these, uh, these things is to leave, them, to leave them better than you found them is to share your faith with them. You can talk about how to do that. This is how Paul says it in the New Testament. He writes this little letter called Philemon. This is to a, a gentleman named Philemon. And he says this to him and to us. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Let me say that again. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, I'm making some assumptions here when I'm talking to you about this whole entire subject. I, I really don't know how to tell you how to be a generic good person. I'm a good, I'm, I'm a Christian, uh, so my life revolves around Jesus, and, and my job as a pastor is to tell you what the Bible teaches, and so I'm making an assumption that you are a Christian and that your faith matters to your life, and that you're at least attempting to make your faith the hub around which your life revolves. Talked about that last week, and I'm, I'm trying to do the same. I don't always succeed. We were driving in the car. I was taking my kids home uh, from school a week or so ago, and we were driving down a road, and they'd closed off a part of the road. There was no sign that said this part of the road was closed, just a little section. And you know how when they're working on a little section of the road, you wait your turn, and you go down the one lane, and then you do that thing? You know that, right? And so I waited my turn, and I went down, and I get to the end, and there's a guy there. He's like, whoa, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Road closed. And he started yelling at me. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? I'm just driving down the road. And so I'm, I'm like, I kind of got my hackles up. I, I wasn't representing you well as your pastor. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And he said, there's a sign. This I said, dude, there was no sign. He's like, no, no, uh-uh, no, road closed. And I had to turn around. I'm, I'm, I'm mad. My kids are watching me get mad. And I, I go back down and I look and there's no sign. And so I, You need to put a sign up on the road. And my nine-year-old, Carrington, says, Dad, that's not how you handle that. (laughs) What you should have said is, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll make sure to take care of it better next time. And so I thought, okay, Carrington, you're now the pastor of our church because you're doing... (laughs) 
I'm I'm not trying to tell you that you have to be perfect. I'm not. I'm just saying that you're doing your best to to say, okay, when I get it wrong, I'll admit it. But but I'm I'm trying to revolve my life around Jesus. And so I'm not I'm not asking you to do that perfectly. I'm just asking you to be a living example of doing that. So this story uh, in in Ruth, one of my favorite stories. If you've never read it, it's four chapters long. Read it this afternoon. It's a wonderful story. Uh, But it's about this this woman named Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, lived in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And at one point, they went to to Moab, which would be modern-day Jordan. And they went there to live. And while they were there, her husband, Elimelech, died. They had two sons. And while they were there, the two sons got married to Ruth and another woman named Orpah. And while, after Elimelech died, the two sons died. So now Naomi is left with no money, no husband, no land, and two daughter-in-laws. And she says to her two daughter-in-laws, now listen, you were from here. Our sons, my sons married you here. You don't need to follow me back to Bethlehem. I have no other option. I I have to go back because I'm poor. Why don't you stay here? And Orpah says, okay, fine, I'm going to stay here. And then that passage we read from Ruth, Ruth says, no, 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 I, I'm going to go wherever you go. And where you stay, I'm going I'm to go with you. My future is tied up with you, Naomi. You've become my friend, and so I want to go where you go. And so she goes with her, and they go back to Bethlehem. And they have nothing. Um, and, and there's a, a gentleman there by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is one of the relatives of uh, Elimelech, Naomi's husband who passed away. And... Um, Naomi says, go to Boaz, go to his field. So she goes to the field, and in that day, the businesses, the owners of the, the agricultural centers, would, they would cut corners. But when I say they cut corners, they would literally cut corners on the field, and they wouldn't glean. It was a way of caring for the poor. They wouldn't glean uh, the, the, the crop there on the corners, and the poor would come, and that was, that was the, a social service that you would provide to the poor if you owned land. They would, that, that was how they cut corners, which actually is a brilliant way to think about it if you own a business. Cut a few corners in the best sense of that, so that you have something to give. A whole other message. <laughs> so so he, he cuts those corners, and Ruth uh, goes and gleans in the field, and he notices how diligently she works, and she's there, and, and finally comes over and compliments her. And, and Naomi says, wait, this is, my, this is my relative. He's my, in Hebrew, goel. Say, turn to your neighbor and say, goel. Goel. It gets translated multiple different ways. Uh, sometimes it's called a kinsman redeemer. She says, this is my, this is my relative. Um, he's, our ki- he's, my, he's my Goel. He's my kinsman redeemer. Meaning, there was a law that said, if you lost, if you're someone in your family lost their land, had the circumstance happened that happened in Naomi's life, then what you need to do, if you're the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, is you're to redeem that person's land. You're to buy that person's land back so it stays in the family, that person doesn't become destitute. You're, you have an obligation and a duty that you owe to your family, and you're to fulfill that, that duty. And, and uh, she says, that's my Goel. That's one of my Goels, one of the men who's in line to take my land. And she says, go, go. And there's this weird interchange that happens. You can read about it in Ruth 2 and 3. Where she goes in at, at night, and it seems a little bit, um, little bit um, strange, the, the interchange, but she basically says, listen, I'm here, and she asks him to marry her. Kind of brazen woman, in a good way. And he sees this, and he says, you know what? I will. Tomorrow, I'll go to the gates, and I will redeem, 
I will fulfill my duty. I'll fulfill my obligation. I will, f- I will do what I'm supposed to do. And, and I, will, I will ask to marry you. There's one in line ahead of me. And so the next day he goes to the, uh, the courts and he calls together a, a legal case in that day. And he says to the, the guy who's supposed to redeem him, he says, listen, Naomi's come back and she's got this plot of land. And you're the kinsman, you're the goel, you're the, the kinsman redeemer, you're in line. You can buy it. And the man says, ah, oh, he can increase his holdings. Ah, I will buy it. It's mine. He says, well, you, you need to know this. Uh, there's this uh, Ruth's daughter-in-law, Naomi, and so when you buy it, you're going to have to marry Ruth. And the guy says, I don't want to marry a woman. I, I, I pass. And so Boaz buys the land and marries Ruth and fulfills his obligation and fulfills his duty. And it's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. But there's an element in the story that I want to talk to you about that's uncomfortable to us. It's about friendship um, that we don't really like because I, I use that word several times. I said obligation and duty. Now, in some ways, for us as Americans, those are dirty words because here's what we believe. Nothing should be obligatory. No one should have any hold on us or oblige us to do anything, and something's only real if we choose it out of the warm, fuzzy center of our heart. And, and obligation, that's the chains that we've thrown off, because here in America, if you don't know, we're free. We're free from any obligation, by which we mean we're free of any obligation to anyone ever. And we operate uh, like the world has no teams and everyone is a free agent. Do you know what I mean when I'm talking about that? If you're a sports person, you know that you're in a team and that you sign a contract with a team and you get all the benefits of the team and you wear the color of the team and you have the, uh, you have the, the camaraderie of the team. But you can become a free agent and you have no ties to anyone. And you can command your own price. You may not get it. But you have no colors. You have no one that you belong to. You have no guarantees. Now, as Americans, that's how we operate. We're all free agents. Like, don't tie me down to anybody. I don't owe anything to anybody. I have no obligations. And we think that's a good thing. And in some senses, it is is good because it makes us free. But guess what it also makes us? Lonely. Right? We're all on our own. So I want to give you some countercultural advice about friendship because in the world of the Bible, and I believe in non-Western cultures, uh, have this right, I, I am convinced. And here's, here's the first piece of countercultural uh, advice about friendship that, I, that comes from the scriptures and, and from other cultures today still that I think they're right. It's this is we owe something to our friends. Uh, Not out of obligation, but out of connection. So I I owe something to my wife. I owe something to my kids. I owe something to people who have been friends to me. I owe something to you as your pastor. We're on the same team, and so we owe each other our support and our love and our resources. One of my friends, uh, when we were in college, um, he used to say, I'd walk into his room, and he'd say, hey, what's mine is yours. A few weeks ago, I was uh, at, in Kansas City where he still lives, and uh, I was there for a conference with some pastor stuff for just a couple days, and I stayed at his house, and he said it to me again. He said, when I said, hey, can I come? I'm coming. It's okay if I stay at your house. He's like, yeah, what's mine is yours. He operates with this sense of obligation to me in, in the best possible way. What's mine is yours. 
You, you can have what I have. We, we owe each other our, our love, our loyalty, our commitment. Now, this, I'll tell you where the shift happened for me when I started to think this way. Because I used to believe that thing that, you know, we don't owe anything to anybody and no one can oblige me to do anything. And it has to come out of the warm, ooey-gooey center of my heart or it's not real. And I went a number of years ago, four or five years ago now, with World Vision to Kenya. And we drove way out into the bush and met these folks where World Vision and you are building wells. In fact, we're doing a 6K, portage6k.org, uh, where you can walk. 50 bucks will buy water for a child for life. You can still sign up for the Chicago Marathon, all that stuff. Uh, but went all the way out there, and it was a real interesting thing. There were a bunch of us uh, from the Chicago area, about 11 of us that were there, and every time we would go, um, we would stand, and we would stand in a circle. I took a picture from my vantage point. I think we've got it here on the screen for you. Do we? Yep, there we go. Of one of the groups of men that we met, and we would stand like this, facing each other, and there would be this kind of formal ceremony where we would go by, and they would say, you know, I'm Dwight from Chicago, and I'm Scott from Chicago, and I'm Lisa from Chicago, from Chicago, and we went all down the line, and then they would introduce themselves, and they would say, and that we would shake hands. We'd have this real formal kind of shaking, and this was, this happened everywhere that we went, and I thought, you know what? This is so much better than the way that we do this. We, you meet somebody, and you're like, what's up? <laughs> there's, there's no outpouring of initial respect they do it because they recognize we're part of the same human family and they owe us the respect and honor that comes with being a human me- being made in God's image. And I went, that's better. They do that, a- they have nothing and they do that so much better than we do. And now listen, I, I promise you, one of the reasons our friendships struggle is we still hold on to the idea that we owe no one anything and that we're free agents. But when you have no team, you owe nothing to anyone, you are all alone. And, and friendship, honestly, only works in the framework where there's some sense that we owe each other the duties and loyalties of friendship. And, and you, so you owe something to your friends. You owe them to care about where they're headed. That means you owe it to them if you're a follower of Jesus to share your faith with them. Now listen, some of you are pushing, you're like, what? No, 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 what are you talking about? Oh, and now this is like a whole, I thought we were about grace. And No, no, no. Here's what I mean. Next note, you can fill in the blank. You can owe to earn or you can owe out of love. I'm not talking about going and earning someone. You're like, well, I, you scratch my back, I'll scratch. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that arrangement where we rack up debts and then we keep a ledger and I did that for them and they didn't do that. No, no, no. It's because I love you. I'm going to give you what I have. I'm not, I'm not keeping track. It's not a ledger book. Because some of you are saying, well, if I do that, if I do that to people, then they will take advantage of me. You're right. So I'm not asking you to be dumb. I am asking you, though, to be a person of character. And you know one of the things that defines a person of character? Their decisions aren't made based on the actions of other people. Well, they might do that, so I'm going to hold back. I'm I'm trying to to say something, something different. So can we talk for a second, just as kind of the last few minutes here, about how to share your faith without being weird? Some of you that make, raises something in you, the, the old word for that is evangelism. And for some, of, for some people, that's a dirty word. Uh, it's actually coming back into vogue. Uh, there are people who work for companies, and their title on their business card is evangelist. 
You know, I were, I'm, I'm an evangelist for Apple. I'm an evangelist for Microsoft. I tell the good news of Microsoft. Uh, so can we talk about that, though, without being weird? And I need to, just to start that off, tell you a, a quick story, um, because this is the kind of thing that I think we don't want to have happen when we think about sharing our faith, and it's just something in my, my history that kind of motivates me. Um, when, when, we were, when I was a kid, I was probably a 10 or 11 years old in our kids' ministry, and our kids' ministry won't do this to you, by the way. <laughs> our kids' ministry said, had this day, and they didn't really explain it, or I didn't understand it. Probably more I didn't understand it because I was 9 or 10. But they said, hey, we're going to have this day for, invite your friends. Invite your friends who are not Christians, and we're going to have this really fun day for them. And so I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I'll go invite my friends. And so I went to school, and I invited, hey, do you want to come with me? My church is doing this thing, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be awesome. And I convinced my friend Greg, who who on track day at the end of the year, he would always win the long-distance race, and I thought Greg was amazing, and and I thought it would be really cool if Greg came with me. And so um, I convinced Greg to go with me, and we sit down. And and what, what happened is in that day, um, the Church of the Nazarene had these books. They still have them called missionary books. And it was a story of a missionary. And what they wanted you to do was read these stories of missionaries. And you would get these points for them if you were in kids' ministry. And then you would get this little reward. And so someone somewhere in the kids' ministry thought, you know what we could do? Is we could get all the kids in a room and we could read them these missionary books, which really weren't very good stories. And, and <laughs> these written well. And, and then we'll get credit for all of those kids and we'll win the award. I didn't know that. I thought we were going like, to have a clowns and <laughs> cotton candy. You know, I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And Greg's going to love it. And he's going to start following Jesus because it was so amazing. And we go and we sit down and they put, pick out the first missionary book and read us this terrible story. And I can see Greg's getting really uncomfortable. He's like, what is this? And he, at some point he just checked out like, into the second missionary book. And I'm sitting there, the second mission. I'm like, why are they doing this? Like, well, that was kind of like a bait and switch, and we're not going to ever do that, and we don't ever want to share our faith in that way, that baits and switches people. Um, but when you share your faith, it, it, see, at the end of Ruth, there's a zinger to the end of the story, and it's the genealogy of Jesus. And, and it ends because it's assuming that you know who comes out of the genealogy of the people there. So Ruth marries Boaz, and, and it recounts the, the genealogy and says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, and Boaz was the father of Obed when he married Ruth. They had a son named Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. And the book ends. Do you know in Bethlehem, do you know someone who was born in Bethlehem on Christmas Day and came out of the line of David? Do you know who that person's name is? It's Jesus, right? At the end result of their friendship was salvation and hope. And, and so that, that's the goal, right? We want to give people hope because when you share your faith, you are sharing the path to life. That's what you're doing. That's the third countercultural piece of advice about friendship. When you share your faith, you're sharing the path to life. Now, let me, let me just explain this. Let me just, I'm going to go this, do this quick. I'm just going to give you some simple ways to think about this. Um, when, when you share your faith, what you're really doing is you're sharing your life and you're being a real friend. Pe- don't ever make people projects. Um, don't treat them like you know, you're trying to shove some information down their throat. You're just going to share your life and you're going to share what's important to you without being pushy. And if you're pushing, uh, if you're pushy on something, it's going to push that person away. So um, you're, first, when you, when you talk about sharing your faith, you're just talking about sharing your life, right? Just being a normal person. But then for some of us, when we, the idea of talking about our faith is like, I don't really know, I don't, 
Ah, so let me give you three simple ways to talk about your faith. In fact, the most powerful thing you can say when someone asks you a question about your faith is, I don't know. If you don't know something, say, I don't know. Don't make up an answer. I don't know. Just say, I don't know. Uh, Because what you want to do when you share faith is just share your story. There's nothing more powerful than how you met God, how Jesus changed your life, and what you're learning right now. Uh, There's a a famous story of Jesus healing this blind man, and these religious leaders came to the blind man, and they're trying to get him to say all these other things. And he finally, in frustration, he says, listen, I I don't know if all the things you're saying are true or not. I don't know. And he says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That's my story. I couldn't see, and this guy came, and he showed up, and he healed me, and now I can see. There's nothing more powerful than your personal story. But let me give you um, some really simple models for talking about them. They're going to be really fast, like a minute each, and I'm going to explain these to you, okay? If you go to our on-ramp, you've, you've seen this before. We talk about if you want to understand where you are in a relationship with God. This is what it feels like to many of us, is we feel like God is over here, and there's this great gap between us, and we have no idea how we're going to bridge this gap. And let's just imagine this was a mile wide, and you were standing right here. Um, it wouldn't matter if you, could, uh, if you hurt your back doing weeds yesterday, and you could jump maybe a foot, or if you were the world record holder in the long jump, no matter what you do to try and bridge this divide, where are you going to... Bah! <laughs> And it's an interesting thing to say, okay, this is what it feels like. We're a distance from God. Where, where would you put yourself? And sometimes people will be like, you know, I'm like right here, hanging over the chasm. I don't, I don't know how you do that. But. but a way to understand what Jesus does is to say, okay, you and I cannot bridge that gap. So God himself comes and he bridges the gap. And that's what the cross is about. That's what Easter is about. That's what the resurrection is about, is I, I, I don't know how to bridge the gap between me and God, but Jesus does, and he does it himself. That's one way you could do that. Uh, another one is, uh, is oftentimes people think when you're saying, talking about uh, Jesus, you're talking about being religious, and there's an element of that. The, the series we're going to start next Sunday um, is called Religious Lies, and we're going to talk about some of the lies people believe about religion. Um, so there's, there's some reality to that, but, but religion is spelled um, D-O, it's what I do, and if I do the right things, then God likes me. Christianity has some elements of religion to it, but Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's what Christ has done for me, not what I do for God, but what God has done for me that makes me right with God. Or another one I like to, to use when I'm just trying to help someone think about it, because I'm trying to be a friend and help them with their life, is the idea of true north. Do you know how true north works? If you have a, a compass and you can uh, orient that compass and it will point, and there's something outside of that compass that points it in the right direction. And so you can always find your way home if you know true north. And, and a, a great question to ask somebody is, okay, do you have a way to, f- something outside of you that points you home? Like, what's true north for you? That'd be a great conversation. Well, I'm not really sure what true north is for me. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I asked you to write down the names of three people, and we've been praying as your, as your pastoral staff. We've been praying with you, and I have a stack I keep in my, uh, my bag, and I pull those out, and I pray through those names each day, and I've been doing that. 
And um, I, I would like to invite you, if you don't have the sermon notes with you, there's a sheet of paper, uh, but you have three lines on your notes right there. And I would invite you to write down the name of three people that you want to invite to Easter next week. And uh, carry that with you this week. And for, th- for three times a day, so just do it when you eat. It doesn't take, have to take you long. You just breathe their names. God for Judy. God for Frank. God for Tom. Three times a day, each time you eat this week, pray for them. And then if, if you have the right kind of friendship, just, ask, just say, hey, what, what are you doing on Easter? Come with me on Easter. And invite them next week. And so what I wanted to do is for us to end by praying for those people. If you'd take a second and write those names down on that, those lines or on that piece of paper. And then carry that with you this week. But I, I wanted us to end by praying for those people together. So would you pray with me? God, these names are our friends. These are people that we care about. Um, These are people, we know their story. We know some of the things they struggle with. And we love them. And and we want to owe them the best things. We want to care about them. We want to be there for them. We want to be a friend to them, whether they believe like us or not. We want them to know that we love them. But God, I pray for them specifically um, that you give us the courage, not in an, in an odd or weird or contrived way, but to just genuinely share our faith. For some of us, that's really easy, and for some of us, that's really hard. And so I pray you'd give us the courage this week, even if it's as simple as, hey, are you going anywhere on Easter? Just come with me. And the people whose lives that you want to intersect and change and transform. Um, You've put in our path. And you've, um, you've divinely made them our friend. And so we want to love them. We want to love them where they are and we want to love where they're headed. And so I pray you'd help us to share our faith with them in the best possible sense of that word. And so I pray for these these names, people known to you, people loved by you, people that you died for, people that you care about, people that you know, that right now they don't have hope and they don't have God. And so use us this week as we courageously invite them and love them and care for them. So we pray all this in your name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would. Leave you with a blessing as we go. You're sent now to love God, to love your friends, to care about where they're headed, to serve the world in Jesus' name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See you next week.